two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. Husker fans, your favorite father-son podcast duo is back with our Minnesota preview show of Generation Red, episode number 18, the kettle corn of Husker fan podcast where we do our best to be sweet, but at times we get salty. I'm your host, Ken. And I am your other host, Scott. Yeah, I know. I threw you for a loop there because I didn't add any kind of stuff. I would say I am your disconcerted host, Ken, but shit, I missed that opportunity on the last one. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not wearing any. I'm not wearing any khakis, so I don't even think I have khakis. I've got like that's, tan jeans, if that counts. That's close. That's almost there. Yeah. Yeah, so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to preview the Minnesota game. We will give you all the current stats for this season, compare Minnesota to our team, as well as give you some players to look out for on the Minnesota. Keys to victory, as well as our score prediction and a brand new plus minus. And then we'll get into our Gen Red six-pack of games to watch in the top 25, and then end things up with a fun fact segment. But before we do that, um, I would like to take just a couple of minutes and first of all, uh, thank Scott for his wise and encouraging commentary on the state of Husker football program on Monday's episode. His comments were, uh, very well thought out, very well written, and I appreciate what he had to say. And today I thought I'd like to build on what he had to say with some thoughts on a phrase that we've heard a lot about lately. Coaches and players have talked about it along with many Husker related podcasts and that phrase is turning the corner. The Husker Football Fan Podcast, in particular, talked about it on their latest episode, and I was struck by what one of the hosts said. Now, I'm paraphrasing, and I'm sorry, Justin or Mike, if I get this wrong, but they said something to the effect of, will we have turned the corner by getting one of these big wins, or is it a season-long process? And I got to thinking, I think I am in the season-long process camp. With all of the crazy that has happened on the field in 2021, I actually see more than just progress. I see a program beginning to turn in the right direction after being adrift for the past 18 years. I see players who weren't even born yet the last time NU won a conference title beginning to embrace the Nebraska way. I see a head coach and his staff learning how to compete in the best coached conference in all of college football. Mm -hmm. Yes, I also realize that we saw that giant, steaming pile of shit that was the Illinois game, and we rightfully assumed uh. at the time that nothing had changed. But from that debacle on, this team has incrementally improved each week, which is what the then-new AD mm -hmm. Trev Alberts wanted to see, based on his comments to reporters at Big Ten Media Days. So, what'd they do? They smashed Fordham and built depth in the second half by putting out the second and third teamers. They also did what they were supposed to do against Buffalo, winning by four scores. Then they got the nation's attention at number three, Oklahoma, where the black shirts emphatically announced they're back. Then they followed that up with a dominant performance in East Lansing, as the offense continued to improve against a good, if not great, Michigan State defense. But thanks to a game-altering wayward punt in the fourth quarter of that game, Daniel Cherney hasn't seen the field since. And all Will Pristop has done is get locked in, punting for 270-plus yards on five punts in the last two games. Incremental improvement on punting game? Yeah. They destroyed, then, a normally tough Northwestern team 56-7 to the week after that game, and then came number 9 Michigan, who shut them out 13 to nothing in the first half. Two years ago, this team folds. But they didn't. Mm. These Huskers exploded for 29 points in the second half, 12 more points than what Michigan had been allowing per game 
up until they walked into Lincoln last week. And yet, we still lost due to a fumble that shouldn't have been. It's hard to get a big upset win when you have to play the refs too, which is <laughs> quite disconcerting. But stay patient, Husker fans. Six wins is still the goal. And the next ga two games are a meh Minnesota team and a floundering Purdue after the first of two bye weeks for the Huskers. Win these two and we only need one more for a bowl. And based on previous performances against three ranked teams who are now in the top 10, I believe these Huskers could find a way to beat either Ohio State or Iowa. Throw in a road game at Madison against a mediocre Badger team and seven wins isn't impossible. So get to six or seven wins, go to a bowl game and beat up on a team from outside of the Big Ten, and we can all finally say, corner turned. We'll be heading in the right direction, and in the distance lay 2022, or as I like to call it, the launching pad. But it all has to start on Saturday in Minnesota. I can hear the signal blinker. Can you? That's all I got to say. You got any comments on that, Scott? Yeah, uh, I just completely like solidify everything that you just said. Um, and I, I see the exact same things, um, as hard it is, as hard as it is as a traumatized Husker nation in the last <laughs> three, four years of frost, um, where we've seen blowouts, we've seen heartbreak losses, specifically 16 of them decided by a score or less. Uh, it's really hard to comprehend progress in front of our eyes when we have just seen, as as Frost has stated before, seen the same movie over and over and over again. Yep. But you can't deny the fact that we have played three top, well, they're now all top 10 teams at this point in the, in the uh, top 25. Top 10 teams we have played and have hung on by a score or less. And I don't think we would have been able to, we haven't seen that in a very, very long time to include the Bo Pelini mm -hmm. era, especially the Bill Callahan era and the Frank Solich era is probably the last time that we've ever hung on with, with really good ranked teams. Mm -hmm. So Husker Nation, when we... Pelini had his moments. He did have his moments, but he also had his moments getting blown out, like yeah. just out of the freaking water by teams <laughs> that we were... 408 yards, Melvin Gordon. Yep. Yes. So... Yeah, so... I, I'm just cool. looking at it like this. Uh, there is a taste in my mouth that this season is the, uh, what would it be, like the delayed first season of Scott Frost that we were expecting from the beginning. And like mm -hmm. I said last week, the if you look at the ELO rating of the Cornhuskers, we are getting better. That bell curve is skyrocketing and if you look at Frost's team right now, this is the first year Frost has had a good team, and I expect good things to come in the future. And like the Husker Fan Podcast said so eloquently, maybe this season is just that process that we are experiencing right now. And in retrospect, we will be able to yeah. view this season as turning the corner. So I love, I love everything you said, Dad. That was perfect. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, I got to thinking too, I, I meant to add it in there, but I thought I was getting windy enough already. Uh, <laughs> but that, that to me, t this is almost kind of like year number one of really Frost being a coach, simply because he's got all of his own guys in. Uh, he probably didn't realize the level that he was going to have to rebuild this program from. Um, you know, when you've got a completely horrible foundation, when you're trying to rebuild a house... I remember what it's like to bust out an old foundation. It's miserable, miserable hard work. And that's, I think, what he's been doing for the last three years is that miserable hard work, getting that new foundation laid, which I think in many ways is the current uh, players on the team. And they're laying a launching pad. I really think that. So, well, and um, and I just wanted to add to that. I don't know if you were going to say this, but I didn't want you to, I didn't want you to move, no, go ahead. move forward. Frost has said himself to include Trev Alberts has backed backed this up. 
Frost has had to change his entire coaching philosophy and, and erase his mm-hmm. entire whiteboard and start over. You yeah. can't tell me with a straight face that Scott Frost isn't a good coach. Normal coaches don't take only a hand, like less than a handful of seasons to entirely rewrite their, their coaching philosophy. Frost is doing yes. that as we speak. And that, that mm-hmm. shows competence. I mean, granted, we haven't seen the results yet, and we need to see results. But if if I'm just looking at the projection right here, Frost might go down as probably one of the best coaches in all of college football if he's able to do what he's going what what we think he could do, which is take a team that was the worst Husker football team that we've seen in sixty years, and then simultaneously completely rewrite his coaching philosophy and be successful with that mm-hmm. holy shit. yeah i agree hats off to the guy and i think that a coach of the year is going to be in his uh in his accolades again in the next five years or so i believe it if we stay the course i can i can I can exactly see what you're what you're talking about too. Or, I mean, or we could just completely, you know, like crash and, and 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 we just get blown out by Minnesota, <laughs> and, then, and then we just choke on our words. Yeah, and then we're paying Nick Saban fifteen million dollars a year to be here. So, though I doubt that happens. A retired and deflated <laughs> Nick Saban. <laughs> yeah, after they're already calling for his firing after losing to A and M. Jeez, dude, Louise, that Twitter that Twitter feed bases. was cringy. Like you guys are the most entitled fan base in the world <laughs> to be, like, what? Wh- what do you expect? Come on, get out of here. Anyway, yeah, what- <laughs> we should get to. <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun. Uh, a little bit of commentary, a little bit of talking, a little bit of uh, going back and forth. I love doing that. That's a great way to start the show off. And folks, you can look forward to more of that in future shows. Scott's going to be handling doing some commentary on Mondays and then I will handle Thursdays and then uh, we'll get into the meat of the show starting now. Minnesota, the Golden Flectones. Record is 3-2. and two. They are unranked. Last game was at Purdue, which they won 20-13. to 13. We should have won Michigan State 20-13, but I digress. ESPN matchup predictor says that Nebraska now has a 59.8% chance to win. We're favored by four points, and the over-under is 48. Whew. Favored by four, over-under is 48. They're expecting a pretty tight one. So uh, let's see here. Uh, impact players for Minnesota. On defense, I noticed, of course, Jay Gibbons right away, the linebacker with 30 tackles and 17 of them being solo. Uh, Having not watched a single game that Minnesota's played, the 17 solo tackles for a linebacker tells me this guy's deadly playing in space. All over the field. He's good at at putting people down when they get anywhere near him. Um, So let's see here. And you've got another one that's (laughs) not too far behind him. What's the guy you've got? I've got a uh, linebacker, Mariano Sori Marin. Sorry, Marin. Sorry. You know, man, I just want to. I just want to state that uh, <laughs> if we were to look at Minnesota's roster, they are hyphen you because the amount of hyphens that they have for uh, a lot of their <laughs> players is incredible. Uh, so yeah, Mariano Sori Marin. I'll just say Marin. Marin. I want to say Marin, but. But I mean, I was in the Marine Corps and they called us like untied status Marins because it was just like a (laughs) meme page. And so every time I see Marin, it like, it it just doesn't, it's like, I want to say that, but it, but whatever. So he has 28 tackles, 15 solos. So compare that to Gibbons. Yes. 30 tackles, 17 solo for Gibbons and 28 tackles, 15 solo for Mariano. So they're basically side by side covering uh, open field and making tackles yep. when they need to in the center of the field or on the outside. I don't, I don't know. Like I just like Dad said, I haven't watched very many highlights of of Minnesota, and frankly, the only game that I've watched Minnesota play, like actually sat down and watched it on TV, was the Ohio State game. So, uh, I mean, oh, I got a burp. Mm-hmm. Hold on, I'm drinking bubbly, so. This is just going to happen. But 
Uh, yeah, man, those those two linebackers side by side are clearly being productive, and I think that they will be their defensive impact players of the game. But if I'm looking at the defense as a whole, I yeah, I don't know much about the Minnesota defense, and I'm not going to speculate on who their impact players could be. These guys show hope, but just by looking at the stats, they have a solid group of guys with 10 different guys having at least nine tackles each and a good defensive lineman named mm-hmm. Thomas Rush. I mean, with yeah, a last name, name like that, I mean, that's why he has 3.5 total sacks, all of them mm-hmm. being in the last three games. So maybe he's finding a groove there on that defensive line. Uh, so, sure. yeah, I would say that these linebackers definitely have impact player uh, potential, but I think across the board, across those 10 different players, uh, they could just be all over the place. Their defense is a hit or miss at this point, but that's kind of just what I'm thinking well, with their defense. Moving over to the uh, Golden Flectones offense, um, <laughs> both of us have nothing but wide receivers listed, but I don't think we should move to those guys until we just take a moment and talk about the running back position simply from the standpoint that they're down to their third string guy and i believe he's a true freshman in that marquise crap what's his last name i don't remember it's marquise irvin and with with uh minnesota's top two running backs mohammed ibrahim and trey potts are both out for the season at this point uh, mm-hmm. I th- yeah, because with Mohammed, I think he uh, yeah Ibrahim, I think he has a torn or a strained uh, Achilles tendon. So I don't torn think Achilles. torn Achilles. I saw the injury; it's torn. It was ugly. yeah. He's not he's not coming back. So they are uh, that leaves the running game for the Gophers under the control of Marquise Irvin's productivity. His only good game at this point was against the Colorado Buffaloes. He had 15 attempts, 89 yards, mm-hmm. with a 5.9 average. But other than that, the Gophers are essentially one-dimensional with, with Tanner Morgan at the helm right now. And he's 52% completion rate, so it's not even a good one-dimensional. <laughs> but, no. you know, I, I've got Ottman Bell as as my guy to watch on their offense simply because I know he missed some games early in the year, but in his limited time back, He's been pretty good. And, he just uh, needs he to find a groove. To, he finds a groove against us, and Tanner seems to find him pretty easily. So I have a feeling he'll be shadowed by number five most of the day. Um, and, hey, while we're on the topic, real quick on defensive backs, how cool is it that Q finally got a black shirt? Oh, yes, I did see that today. Yeah, that Quentin awesome. Newsom. Quentin Newsom got a black shirt. Was that today or was it just announced? Today? It was uh, yesterday, I think, is when I read the story that he was getting okay. his black shirt. Good so, for yeah, him. Very sweet. Yeah, awesome. He's deserved it. He's played lights out the last couple games. He um, has. I think he learned so from you're... his mistakes with uh, against Buffalo, where I felt like Buffalo was the yep. game where they were picking him apart, and I think he actually galvanized off of that adversity. Yep, yep, yep. I agree. Um, you've got a few wide receivers you want to talk about. Why don't you go ahead for Minnesota there? Yeah, so I would have picked Ottman Bell, but uh, yeah, you kind of picked him. So I was like, well, shoot, let me look at their depth chart and see what kind of stats stand out to me. And once again, hyphen, uh, wide receiver hyphen, Mike Brown-Stevens. Uh, he only has four receptions for the year, but like Samari Torre, they're all huge receptions for big moments. He has four mm-hmm. receptions for 139 yards with a 34.8 average per catch. So that stands out to me that he can find ways to get open in big situations. And if Tanner Morgan can find him in his progressions, look out for this guy. Um, But I also have honorable mentions because if you look at the receiving leaderboard, there's four names that stand out. Obviously, Ottman Bell just by his name, then Mike Brown Stevens. But then we have Daniel Jackson and Dylan Wright. Uh, these two dudes are clearly the lifeblood for the receiving crew for the Golden Gophers with the majority of their catches combining for a total of 324 Hmm. yards between them and a 14 yard average between them. Uh, it's just something to look out for. Uh, like I said, with Tanner Morgan, dude, uh, he's having an underwhelming year being that he was projected as one of the top quarterbacks of the. 2021 Big Ten season. Seriously, if the Gophers have any chance of being productive, he needs to be a key 
for the Golden Gophers victory against the Big Red. Um, and it will be with those receivers that we just named off. There's a few others, but their stats didn't really yeah, stand out. Those are so. the guys. Yep. Those are the guys that kind of stood out for him. Uh, so, yeah. Well, shoot. Since we've talked about specific players, let's talk about the stats that some of those, uh, all those players have basically generated so far and compare them to what Nebraska has done. Uh, I did not get this weekend for some reason. I could not find where these stats rank nationally. So my apologies to the listeners on that. Uh, but Nebraska or Minnesota is at 334.2 yards per game in total offense, whereas Nebraska is at 493.6. Uh, yeah, definitely edge. <laughs> Uh, and that's where it's interesting until we get to the defensive side. Uh, defensive side, uh, total defense for Minnesota is 307.8 and Nebraska is 342.1. So uh, that's right at Minnesota's average is what we're giving up. So I would think that's kind of a wash except for the fact that their defense is a little better than ours on total defense numbers. So uh, we'll see which which team does better against whom. On that side of the ball, uh, Minnesota is 192.4 yards per game rushing, whereas Nebraska is 223.6, uh, which is pretty doggone good considering <laughs> considering we played three teams in the top 10 and we still managed to rush for 223 yards per game. That's pretty amazing. And stat they have really, really good rushing it. defenses, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, especially um, that, yeah, Michigan, dude. Holy shoot. Okay, yeah, get, carry on, so, carry on. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Passing offense for Minnesota is 141.8 yards per game. Nebraska is right at 270. Definitely the edge to Nebraska. Offensively, I'm not scared of Minnesota's offense. Um, what I am worried about is that their defense may be pretty good, but they really haven't played anybody yet. Uh, but they are scoring 24.4 yard points per game, and we're scoring right under 32, so 31.9. As I said, total defense was 307.8 for Minnesota to 342.1 for Nebraska. They're only giving up 77 rushing yards a game. So that tells me all those tackles, those linebackers were making solo in space. That's why they're only giving up 77 rushing yards per game. Uh, and that defensive line is pretty good. But who's their toughest competition so far? Uh, Ohio State. Yep. Other than that, I don't know of any team that really has given them much of a game on that side, on that part of the offense that, that they're not going to yeah, see anybody. Let me, you want me like to, us. you Go want ahead. me to just, so, uh, yeah, so they have a 77 yard rushing defense, but let me just, uh, outline this here, who they've played. Don't know if you guys know of any stellar running, uh, performances from any of these teams, but please correct me if I'm wrong, but they, uh, they played against Miami of Ohio. Can't say I know anybody from that team that's good at running. Uh, Colorado, Bowling Green, and Purdue. So I would say that if Ohio State would have been able to find a good uh, rushing game to begin their season with Trevion Henderson, their yeah. stellar running back that's found his groove now, I would say that that stat would change. But I can't say with these other four teams that they would have uh, – they would have put on a stellar rushing performance. So mm -hmm. I think that that stat, while it looks great, I don't think it's under any sort of meritability. But we'll see. I digress. Um, yeah, they give up 230.8 yards per game in passing and 208.3 yards for Nebraska in passing yardage uh, per game. Pretty impressive. Um, scoring, pretty close. Minnesota gives up 19.6 points per game. Nebraska gives up. 17.9. So basically looking at these numbers, uh, I can see where Vegas has come up with the idea that we're favored by four, uh, because at this point, what, 1.7 points per game more is what they allow than we do. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd say this, in my opinion, this should be a pretty easy win for Nebraska just because yeah. The I, competition I wanted... that Minnesota, that Ohio State, notwithstanding, the competition Minnesota has played has not been us. And we're kind of hitting our groove offensively right now. Before we, uh, before we hit no, our ahead. keys to victory, um, I just wanted to humble Husker Nation really quick, just so that we don't get stuck in this idea that 
with Minnesota being down guys and with a 50 something percent chance of winning with a over with a with a uh uh you know like a 3 per, 3 4 point projected win uh that is basically completely similar with 2020 and 2020 yep. we had a 52% chance of beating the Gophers with I think uh a uh Oh my gosh, hold on a second. With yeah, we were we were like projected to win by like four points then too. And they were down thirty-three guys last year. Thirty-three guys. And mm-hmm. it seemed like we had a good shot of victory, but we fell to them twenty-four to seventeen by an undermanned and underwhelming gopher squad last year. So and I don't even want to talk about twenty nineteen, but we just have to remember that even though our stats are similar, Vegas is, is predicting it to be a close game. It, I think it's pretty safe to assume that it will be similar and it will be a close game. Uh, but that is, you know, no more, no, or it's like more or less whatever your interpretation of that is. Uh, but last, I just wanted to say one more thing. Um, last week, Minnesota did shut out. Purdue in the second half when they were trailing 13 to 10 going into halftime. Uh, But with that, it also came with the help of Trey Potts prior to his injury. Um, So it's, it's really, it's really up in the air and Nebraska being compared to Minnesota, just in general dudes like and dudettes, Minnesota is in a very similar position that Nebraska has found themselves in in previous years. Like, what Minnesota team is going to show up this week? Is it the defensive-led team that shut out the Buffaloes 30-0? to zero, Or is it going to be the team that completely that got completely shut down by a terrible Bowling Green? Like, we don't know what we're going to see from this Minnesota squad <laughs> right. uh, on, on Saturday, and that freaks me the hell out. So, but that leads into keys to victory what do you think our keys to beating minnesota is going to be this year well the thing that's always eaten us up against minnesota in past years has been guys like mo ibrahim uh what was the kid that played for him the year before rodney something um but yeah they they always ran the dang ball down our throat especially 2019 um, 2020, they did the exact same thing when we were supposed to beat them <laughs> with 30 dudes that didn't even make the trip, uh, when we should have ran cause they were one of the worst run defenses on the planet that year. And we decided to freaking throw the ball with 30 mile an hour wins. So I'm still baffled by that game plan in 2020. It made no so, damn sense. None whatsoever. So for me, a key to victory is stop the run and, and beginning cause with a 52, or 50.2% completion rate uh, that uh, Tanner Morgan has so far this year. We need to make him beat us. I, uh, which, of course, it seems like when we really need a win, it seems like a quarterback that's played like crap all year figures out a way to beat us. <laughs> but Satowski. I have a little more, <laughs> like, yeah, I have a little more faith in the, uh, in the uh, black shirts than I used to. So uh, stop the run. We need to... Get a two-score lead at least early, right out of the gate. Get a two-score lead and take the dumbass referee calls out of the equation because I have a really bad feeling that we're going to see some really familiar referee faces on on the field on uh, Saturday. And then uh, no turnovers. No turnovers. That means, Adrian, if you get stood up on a third-and-one call and you've got the first down, you wrap that dang ball up until you fall on the ground. Uh, don't don't relax and say you think the play was over. So no turnovers, get a two-score lead early, and stop the run. Those are my keys. How about you? I think the science checks out with your keys to victory, and I concur with those with those uh, keys. Um, my keys to victory at the moment. Well, I guess I'll just solidify. It's not at the moment. This is this is my true and tried keys to victory <laughs> that I spent. Very, very many minutes thinking about. Um, <laughs> number one, not letting Tanner Morgan find a rhythm. Like you previously yep. just said, and I think we've both said multiple times in the podcast already, if not in pre-discussion before recording, Tanner Morgan 
if he were to find a way to get a rhythm, it would be against us because that's just the way that Huskers, like Husker Nation, finds themselves in positions like that. We just find ourselves in weird positions where a team that isn't expected to do good finally finds a rhythm against us and then they have whatever for the rest of their season. Anyway, we can't let Tanner Morgan find a rhythm, especially with their running back game being down. We got to keep him one dimensional. And if we want to do anything to shut him up, uh, we got to get a, we got to get a turnover. Like if we can get a turnover off of Tanner Morgan, goodness gracious, that would be beautiful. And number two, our offensive linemen, they need to play a perfect game. This Minnesota defensive line has found themselves getting better and better as the season has gone on. And I do not want our offensive line sleeping on these guys. And with Teddy Prochaska being out for the season and Bryce Benhart coming back in, taking his tackle spot, uh, he's going to need to play a great game um, and give Martinez the pocket he needs to make plays. That's that's key to me and pushing pushing their defensive line around so we can get a run game going we need to have multi-dimensional offense against this uh minnesota squad and my last key to victory is well martinez he needs to make sound and timely decisions and stay healthy i don't want to see him having run into a pile of guys where a ball can get knocked out or he can get his ankle twisted all of right colorado something like that um yeah martinez needs to be on his game he needs to find guys that are open and we need to capitalize off of their mistakes and martinez is the guy who's going to need to do that so those are my keys to victory sounds like a plan those are i think easy enough to do (laughs) with the way the teams have been playing lately uh with exception Martinez just needs to please, please hold on to the ball. And that leads us pretty much to our score prediction. Why don't you start this one out? What do you have for a score prediction? I think it's interesting what you've come up with. So aside from all of the banter at the beginning of the podcast and talking about this season being a building season and turning the corner and all that stuff, um, I truly believe that this game will be another frustrating one for Husker fans to watch. I just, I have this gut feeling that it's going to be a tough one. We're not going to blow them out. It's not going to be a Northwestern, although I hope to God it's like a Northwestern. That would just be a beautiful thing to watch. Um, I believe that even though I'm not at all educated via the eye test on Minnesota's defense this year, stats don't lie. And they have a good squad. And I think that they will give us their best game on Saturday. We will see the best Minnesota team that we will have seen this year, bar none, this Saturday, for sure. Um, and I have a feeling that it will come down to a one-score decision. And I do believe, though, that the Scarlet and Cream find a way to put together a game-winning drive in the final moments of the game where we are actually behind. And we will win. And I think that the score is going to be something like a 24 to 23 Nebraska victory, whether that comes with a field goal from Connor Colt to redeem his, his entire season, which granted he has done a great job kicking extra points for the past few games. Uh, but he hasn't been tested in an actual field goal attempt in the past two games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two I, games, yeah. two games. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm thinking something like a 24 to 23 victory, and it's going to make Husker fans' buttholes pucker like to the tightest like <laughs> diameter that it could possibly be. Yeah, they'll be so tight that it, you can fart, and it'll make a dog howl, <laughs> <laughs> or or it'll chirp at the Big Ten refs with some khaki pants, stating that <laughs> it was so unfair that yeah, they'll no, be disconcerting. They'll be disconcerting. <laughs> Can't let that go, man. I'm so mad at Jim Harbaugh. What a p- Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, I'm not quite as uh, pessimistic as you, though you do make a good case. And, and the only reason I think Nebraska does a little bit better than, well, quite a bit better than what you think they will, is simply because we hate Minnesota. We've had enough of the fleck tones and fleckisms and all the and you know dang good and well that PJ is all up in the whole team's grill about 
you know, what Frost said at Big Ten Media Days, that he's not, not all about the, you know, the sloganeering and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sure he's using that as motivation. And I have no doubt that this Nebraska team needs no motivation. After Saturday, they know exactly how close they are. I think they also know that nothing is um, a sure thing. And as much as uh, Minnesota has struggled, um, I just have I have a feeling this is the game where they also get right again, just like they did against Northwestern, but not by quite the same score. I think Minnesota's going to put a few points on the board. Uh, in fact, I think they'll put about 20 on the board, and I think Nebraska will, out, will outduel them, especially in the second half. I think Nebraska really blows it open in the second half and wins going away 42 to 20, no turnovers and all that good stuff. So I think they play their most complete game of the season, quite frankly, and uh, win by 22 points. That would be because, hey, mm. how wrong was Vegas on Northwestern? Oh, yeah. They were wrong by 40 some odd points, weren't they? We were only favored by like 12 going into that game. Yeah, it was so, something like that. And I know and, this is on the road, which is why I don't think we're going to score more than 42. Uh, but that, that defense at Minnesota hasn't really been tested yet. And Scott Frost has found something with uh, tight end, with uh, that option look, and being able to um, come up with some really creative stuff. And I have no doubt that he has some special stuff planned for the uh, Flectones. Plus or minus, well, right now we're tied at 5-5, five to five, which is pretty cool. Plus minus for Minnesota, uh, which, of course, we've had three folks play with us this last week. Hopefully those three will play again. You know who you are. <laughs> Plus minus for me is two total TDs by Ramir Johnson. Uh, and that doesn't mean rushing. That means both TDs either. Hell, it could mean he might actually return one on a kickoff. Uh, so anytime... Ramir Johnson scores, it would count as toward the two, and I'm going to take the plus. I think he gets more than two to this weekend. I think we found a guy that could turn into the next, dare I say it, Abdullah? I've seen the hmm. fear Ramir signs out there. Huh. I, I would take actually the... Uh... I would take the minus. I think he finds himself in the end zone just once because um, I think that there might be something within the coaching schema where they put Yant back in the game, especially in the red zone, if he can you know, not run into our, our quarterback. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so with that being considered, I, I – I would like to see another game where he he just has like a dual explosiveness with reception and with rushing yards, but until I see the trend, um, I, I'm just gonna have to go with the minus one touchdown. I think he gets. It. I think he finds his way into the end zone at least once, though, for sure. Um, I would take the number, but I just kind of I don't know. I want to see it. I want to see it. So I got you. I got you. I'm just, I don't know. I've got a gut feeling that he's going to blow up this week. Um, I, I would i would take it. I, I would lose those points every day of the I week if that's the case. damn good and well, one of those two linebackers is going to be spying Martinez all day. I have a feeling one of those two guys we highlighted for the defense is probably going to be spying Martinez all day. Uh, so I'm going to take the number on uh, your plus minus, which is? Yeah, so my plus <laughs> minus is two turnovers generated by the black shirts. That can be in the air. That can be on the ground. It could be yep. on special teams. I don't care. It's two turnovers. So two turnovers generated by the uh, black shirts. Well, I guess I did say black shirts. So I don't know about special teams on that. But um, we'll just we'll just say all all together, not just the black shirts. But um, two turnovers generated by the team. Yes, two two turnovers generated by the team. And I take the minus. I really wanted to take the number, but I don't know. I've played. I've played kind of risky bisky um, for the past like five, six <laughs> weeks. So I'm going to kind of play a little bit more conservative. 
um, this week just for fun. See what happens. Um, I'm going to take the minus, and but I will make a bold prediction. It has nothing to do with like the actual me taking the plus or minus, but just in like uh, in parentheses, I I think that we pick off Tanner Morgan and like. I'm going to go like oddly specific shout out to the Husker 247 podcast. Uh, oddly specific prediction is that uh, is that uh, Jojo Doman gets an interception in the fourth quarter with four minutes remaining um, as they're driving down to go up on us two scores. And he comes in clutch and gets an interception with four minutes left. That puts us on our game winning drive. <laughs> I dig it. I totally dig it. Um yeah, you know, shoot, if I'm going oddly specific, I think Levi Falk scores another t- TD this weekend simply because he's still pissed off that Minnesota never recruited him. Um. <laughs> and what if he does – I'm, I'm going to jump on your oddly specific. What if he does the same thing that Xavier Betts had where it was like a, it was like a wheel route? Option and pitch. Yeah, option pitch where he comes out beh- from behind with Xavier Betts running next to him, but he fakes the pitch mm-hmm. uh, to Betts and gives it to Falk, and then Falk takes it – uh, yep. just right up, right off the side and just, oh, dude, that'd be fun. That'd be beautiful. That would, that be, would beautiful. be beautiful. Well, All you right. know what? By gosh, we, I think we've covered Minnesota as much as we could possibly cover it. So why don't we move on to our Gen Reds six pack games of the week? All right, Husker fans. So dad and I, we just wanted to go over some games that we're excited to watch. I would say that my metaphor for the six pack would be uh, a six pack of uh, like cream soda or root beer because Husker Nation, I don't actually drink um, as a 27 year old guy for good reason. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to I just wanted to state that. So if anybody wants to hit us up and go hang out, just just know that I will be getting myself a Shirley Temple and sit there like the prissy little bitch that I am. So, um, <laughs> yes. Uh, there, there really aren't that many good ranked versus ranked games to watch this weekend. It's kind of stale this weekend. There could be upset watches, like unranked teams, uh, such as a few of the games that I picked out that I think could be an upset, and I think one of yours could be an upset as well for a for a Cinderella story. But we'll get into that. But my first game that I am thoroughly interested in watching is Yale versus UConn. ESPN's FPI gives Yale a 59.1% chance of winning. So if you really wanted to know how bad UConn is this year, an Ivy League Yale is picked to win against FBS UConn. I'm just wow. kidding. That's not that's not actually one of my picks, but I just really found that interesting. Uh <laughs> Because <laughs> I know UConn is bad after they fired their head coach, or I think that's what happened. They fired their head coach, and they're a real bad squad. But when Yale is projected, they don't have yeah, an over under because I don't even think people want to bet on this game. And it's such a such a <laughs> bottom of the barrel game you could possibly find on like ESPN the Ocho. Uh, right. Yeah, I just I just thought that was funny. That's just a joke. You don't have to add it, but uh, yeah, man. Yale projected to win against UConn. I just thought that was that was baller. Uh, but no. So my first game that I'm excited to uh, to see this weekend is going to be number five, five and one Alabama at the Mike Leach led three and two Mississippi State Bulldogs. Um, I kind of have a soft spot for Mike Leach, the pirate. Me too. I always enjoy listening to him on Hale Varsity and just the memes. If you go on YouTube and just watch his, his press conference, any, anything that Mike Leach says that gets like regurgitated from his mouth brain is just incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. he's on a different fucking planet most of the time. So I, (laughs) I love Mike Leach for that reason. And that reason alone, he is like an ADHD brain and, and, encapsulated in a head coach so but he speaks so freaking slowly that's what's funny he's so (laughs) his delivery (laughs) his delivery is like uh ah shoot i'm blanking on the comedian's name what's the uh what's that comedian you showed me growing up who just has like the best one-liners monotone voice oh yeah stephen wright Stephen Wright. He reminds me of yeah. a Stephen Wright, but in a, a head coach. With a southern body, accent with a, instead with a, of a yeah, Boston southern accent. Yeah, southern accent, a little bit more bubbly of a 
personality, <laughs> I would say. But uh, yeah, man. So I'm projecting Alabama to win, but how cool would it be for Alabama to have back-to-back losses? against Texas A&M and then Mike yeah. Leach and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. I don't see it because the over-under, if we're just looking from Vegas' stand, Vegas's standpoint, they actually aren't giving Alabama that much of a of of a of like a, of an up on them. Um, basically, you look at it, they have an over-under of 57.5 with uh, Alabama being favored by 17 points. So mm-hmm. that's... Quite the spread, twenty somewhere in there. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I don't know. I'm picking Alabama, but God, it would just be so cool to watch Alabama lose back to back and have literally no chance of getting into the college football playoff, and watch the Alabama fan base just implode on itself. That would be awesome. <laughs> but what do you think? That is true. I'm I'm right there with you. Because uh, there's if there's one thing I know about Nick Saban, especially since he's been at Alabama. If he loses one, he's not losing the next one. No. Uh, he, there's no doubt he's got his team's attention this week. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see him covering that spread. I think Mississippi State could score some points. Uh, obviously, Alabama can be had. There's, there's points that were scored against him in that A&M game, obviously. So, uh, yeah, I'd say I would bet the under – and I would bet uh, the Bulldogs to cover, but Alabama wins. Fair enough. My number one is uh, unranked 3-2 and two UCF, led by head coach Gus Malzahn, against number 3, 5-0 and o Cincinnati. And the only reason I am kind of leaning UCF is because Gus Malzahn runs a very similar offensive scheme to the one that Sean Watson ran when he was at Nebraska back in 2011 when Luke Fickle, the Cincinnati head coach, was the interim head coach at, o- at Ohio State. And we came back in the second half and uh, took him out. So I'm going to go upset special. This is my upset special. I believe the over-under is definitely in danger. I think these two teams go over. I think we're probably looking at 65 points scored between the two of them. And UCF pulls out the victory 31. Now, that wouldn't be 65, would it? 34-31. UCF wins. Holy crap. Okay, yeah, that is definitely. I would say that would be upset um, of the week if all of these games play out as expected. Um, I don't know. I I I am also kind of in the boat of thinking UCF could pull off a win because I mean, I, I mean, if you just look at their if you look at their their schedule, they haven't really played anybody tough yet. Um, they played a they good Louisville do. squad and lost like in the worst way possible at the end of that game, which was an exciting game. Yep. Um, and then they went the next week and lost, or actually it wasn't the next week. They had a bye week and then they played Navy and they lost to Navy, but then they beat Eastern Carolina in a very close game, 20 to 16. Yeah. 20 to 16. I don't know. I feel like UCF will find a way to be in that game. And I think that, yeah, they definitely go over. I would say more up to like 70, 75 points between the both of them. <laughs> they just go back and forth, slapping each other in the face, back and forth, back and forth. But ultimately, I think Cincinnati keeps their uh, keeps their Cinderella college football playoff hopes alive and wins uh, something to the likes of 45-41. That's kind of what I'm thinking. So wait, okay. actually, that's like uh, that's like, eighty. Like that's 86. like eighty. That's that's yeah. yeah. But it's way up there. So anybody betting the over will be happy as. Shit. Um, what's your number two game? My number two game. So the rest of these games that I have on my list are mostly just kind of keeping an eye on on teams that I'm interested in in the Big Ten just for this mm-hmm. week because there's just not much exciting to look at in the top twenty five game showdowns, but. My number two game is unranked Purdue at Kinnick facing off against the number two Iowa Hawkeyes with a 6-0 record. They're playing in Kinnick um, at like 2.30 or something like that. 
The uh, over-under is 43 with Iowa favored by the spread with 11.5 point favorites. Um, I am going to go with Iowa, but if Purdue were to just find a way to be good, which they have had moments this season where they look better, they look more improved um, throughout the mm-hmm. season, uh, I I don't know. Uh, I think that Purdue could find a way to upset Iowa if they find a way to have a decent defense because Lord knows that Iowa's offense is, is uh, <laughs> less than impressive. And if they can find a way to exploit Iowa's defense in some weird way, they could pull it off. But ultimately, I'm picking Iowa, and I think that that I think that that 11 and a half point spread is just about right. I would say Iowa beats them something to the likes of like 31, 21, something like that. Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. But what do you think? I'm right there in the boat with you. I think uh, I don't think Purdue covers. I think Iowa covers. Uh, I think might be that. Uh, good God, that Iowa offense is awful, though. Uh, so I would say Iowa probably scores on one defense, one defensive play, because Purdue <laughs> they're just not good. So yeah, Iowa definitely wins. I don't think I would bet the over. I think I would bet the under. And I think uh, I think Purdue just might cover that spread. I don't know. But, yeah, Iowa wins. So my second game is uh, I don't have any Big Ten games on mine because there was some that kind of intrigued me, like this one. Uh, number 25 Texas at 4-2 and two is uh, at home against number 12, 5-0 and Oklahoma State, who's kind of a sneaky good team. Um, so I'm kind of torn because Texas got their butts handed to them by, by, uh, Arkansas, but yet they had Oklahoma against the ropes and they let them off mostly because Oklahoma decided to bench Spencer Rattler for a guy who plays football a lot like Adrian Martinez does. And Texas didn't know what to do with them. Uh, the over-under is set at 60. Texas is actually favored by five going into Oklahoma State. I'll still never <laughs> figure out why the hell Texas is favored. Uh, dang it. I'm going to go Okie State simply because they're at home. Simply because they are at home. And, uh, yeah, I just don't have a whole lot of faith in that Texas defense after after not figuring out how to stop a running quarterback. Um, though OSU probably has a quarterback that's kind of a statue because that's the Gundy model. But I'm going to go with the team that's ranked higher just because they're ranked higher. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to also go with Oklahoma State. I just think that the bias against Texas and, you know, as Husker Nation liked to say, and there were T-shirts printed off in the thousands, Tuck Fexus. And uh, anytime watching, holy shit, I don't have to bleep that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I just, I just don't like Texas, and I like it when they lose. So mm-hmm. I want to see Oklahoma State prove their undefeated record of five and zero to be valuable with three, three consecutive wins against ranked teams because they beat number 25 Kansas State, the number 21 Baylor, and now if they can beat another number 25 Texas, that would be beautiful. Um, But yeah, it it is at Texas, so it's going to be a little bit harder for OSU to pull off that win, but I do think that they find a way to win. I I don't know why Texas is favored so much other than just bias. I, I really think that's all it yeah. is. It's just bias. So, yeah, I'm going Oklahoma State just because I, I don't like Texas. But it wouldn't surprise me if Texas wins. So, All righty. What's your number three game? My number three game, once again, like I said, I'm curious to see how Iowa prevails with their uh, their number two ranking and being a college football playoff contender at this point. I'm curious to see how Michigan State can continue to hold their hold their own 
and prove their top 10 worth and prove their ranking and prove their 6-0 and record. So my next game is, yes, number 10, 6-0 Michigan State, going to Indiana, unranked Indiana, with only two wins on the record right now, two and three, with the over-under being 48.5 and, and the spread being uh, 4.5 points favored in Michigan State or towards Michigan State. I don't know. This could be upset. This could be upset alert. I'm going to pick this to be my upset of the week. I think that Indiana somehow finds a way against uh, Mel Tucker and drops them off of their uh, their top 10 ranking. Uh, as much as I, I think that Kenneth Walker III is showing his explosive capabilities aside against us, which I'm just thrilled about that we were able to shut him down like we did. Uh, mm-hmm. I I just I don't know. I I just have this interesting and intriguing intuition that Indiana finds a way to just knock them off of their boat and sinks it for them. So, I'm picking Indiana to go with the upset this week. And I think it's going to be a shootout somehow. Or you know what? No. Caught, nope. I completely scratched that. Uh it's going to be a Big 10 style game. It's going to come down to less than 20 points scored um, on either side. So something like a 17 to 17 to 14 victory for Indiana. They find a way to shut down Kenneth Walker. I don't know. I don't know anything about Indiana. This is just something that uh, that I'm just going off the top of my head with just for fun. Just throwing out my throwing out my funsies today. So, uh, yeah, I'm going uh, Indiana. What do you think? I think you're crazy. I think Michigan State wins this. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely crazy, and you're probably um, right. Just because, um, I don't know, I haven't watched any games of Indiana's, but I'm pretty sure Ohio State kind of ran roughshod over them with the running game. Um, and they don't have a back as good as Kenny Walker, or Kenneth Walker, or whatever the hell we're going to call him. Um, Kenny Walker, I'm thinking of an old Nebraska defensive lineman who is dead. <laughs> He could feel. He knew when the fans were cheering because Memorial Stadium would shake. Um, yeah, I'm going Michigan State all the way, and I think they cover the spread. I think they win by ten. Yeah, I, I, so. I can see that. Like I, like I said, I'm looking at their. I'm looking at Indiana's record, and it is definitely not impressive. Barely got a win off of Western Kentucky, thirty-three to thirty-one. They got blown out. Well, they, they didn't get blown out. They got shut out by Penn State. Basically shut out by Iowa. Yeah. Got pretty much smacked by uh, Cincinnati. So they have literally, I have no, no reason, no, no form of logic as to why uh, Indiana would win. But you're going with um, your gut. I'm just going with my gut. And I think it would be funny. I just think it'd be funny. That'd be a really Mm -hmm. fun, fun upset. Mm -hmm. So it would just throw everybody off a bit. Well, I got you. The one game that's not going to throw anybody off, though, is number 11, Kentucky, against number one, Georgia. Holy cow. I had a hard time putting this down because it just still hurts my soul that Kentucky has Wandale Robinson and we don't. And he's probably the only reason why Kentucky stays under the spread, quite frankly. I think uh, I don't think Georgia covers. Uh, cause we saw what that Clemson defense did to Georgia. They couldn't, the only touch they, down they scored was on defense. And I don't think Clemson had a player quite like Wandale. So I think Wandale has a decent game. It's probably going to be a 21 point win by Georgia. So 42, 21 over Kentucky. Georgia stays undefeated, stays number one. Yeah, I'm going to go with your sentiment. Um as much as it's it's awesome that Kentucky has gone 6 and 0 for the first time since like 1950 or some crazy like that. And they have Wandale. I mean, Wandale's putting up some impressive stats for the season. They're at the halfway mark and Wandale's on on a trajectory to get a 1000-yard receiving season. Yeah. Uh he's got 37 he receptions, 527 yards and four touchdowns. Um, yeah, it's a damn shame that he left, but at the same time, I'm so happy for him that, that he's getting that, uh, that NFL, like 
looks. He's he's getting looked at. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I just don't think, dude, that, that Georgia defense is just ridiculously good. Um, I don't know how Kentucky can put together an offense that will be productive against them. I it wouldn't surprise me if Wandale just gets absolutely like lit up in multiple ways. Um, dude, yeah, I yeah. just don't, I don't see it. I don't see them winning, you. but yeah, I'm going Georgia. I think that the over under and the spread is pretty much my sentiment. Um, I think Kentucky will find a way to keep Georgia on the lower end of scoring, but I don't think that Georgia will allow Kentucky to score all that much. So I don't have a prediction of a score because I really don't know, but that's what I'm thinking, Georgia. Well, there you go, folks. Those are our Generation Red six-pack of games to watch. So why don't we move on to the last segment tonight, and that is our fun facts. I'm not exactly sure if what we're about to say now is going to be a lot of fun, at least for my end. Scott? Yeah, it looks like he might have a little more fun than I will. Well, I'm not going to have any fun at all when I talk about the fact that I used to work in IT. Yeah, got, a, <laughs> got an associate's degree because I was interested in computers back in the day. I loved playing around with them and all that stuff. And I thought, hey, why not work in something that I enjoy? So I got an associate's applied sciences degree in information technology in 1999 when we lived in Arizona. You were just a little tyke. And other than the nine months that I spent as a junior network administrator in a in Phoenix at an insurance company after graduation, I hated every minute of my time in the field. I do love computers. I love building them. I love using them to record music, podcasting, editing, audio and video, and gaming. I just hated making a living at it in the corporate world. So go figure. I have a technology degree, and I drive a truck. And quite frankly, I make a pile more money driving a truck than I would have made in information technology, at least in the area that I was in. So that's my fun fact. How about you? Yeah, so uh, my fun fact is going to be that I will actually be in Colorado this weekend for a little vacation that I'm taking with my wife, uh, partially because I'm going to go see my favorite band, as I stated in, I think, the original fun facts section earlier in our uh, podcasting career at this point because we're making yeah. so much money with this um was music <laughs> and my favorite band is august burns red um they're playing in denver on the uh 17th i believe yeah 17th sunday night um and i look forward to seeing them hopefully because so far half of the venues have canceled the August Burns Red event because of COVID-19 positive cases. So we'll just kind of see how that plays out. Uh, if if I can't go, it's fine. Um, I'm already kind of mentally prepared for it to be canceled. But other than that, uh, my wife and I do plan on going hiking. We got a reservation for a really nice restaurant that we're going to go out to. Uh, we're just going to explore Denver and just kind of get a little – just get away. Just kind of get away, have a little mini vacation. But unfortunately, that means that I will miss the game because we will be hiking Saturday morning. We will be going out to somewhere that my wife found. Um, give me just a moment here. It's somewhere in here. Uh, where did she? Where did she book? We're going to the Rocky Mountain National Park. That's where we're going. Oh, sweet. Uh, Yes, and I opened this up, and now I can't get out of it. Okay, there we go. Uh, so we're going to the Rocky Mountain <laughs> National Park, and we're going to be hiking from the morning time until the afternoon. And so I will actually miss the game. And it will be the first Husker game that I will have actually missed since I was in Japan in 2017. Uh, I still found ways to watch games when I was in Japan, but it kind of sucked that because of the time zone difference, those games kick off if I could find a stream for them was at like three in the morning on a right. Sunday morning. So I didn't really find myself watching those games very much, but I will be hiking out in the mountains and that'll be fun. But unless I can find a radio signal or reception to at least listen to the game and like my earbuds or something while we're hiking, 
It'll just be us and nature and an overwhelming amount of anxiety surrounding mm-hmm. how the game will turn out. Uh, I do plan on watching the game after we get back to our hotel, regardless of how it turns out, but <sighs> I sure hope that it's a W. That would just be awesome. But that's just a fun fact about me and my life currently. Um, super stoked about it. I want. I just want to go to a mosh pit and watch my first concert. <laughs> uh, my first concert since uh, COVID uh, kicked off, and I was supposed to go to a concert earlier in September, but it got canceled due to COVID. So, mm-hmm. you know, here here's hoping. Well, I'm hoping you get to go too. That would be really awesome. And by the way, if you've got any kind of cell phone signal, data signal at all, wherever you're hiking. Just go to Huskers.com, plug your earplugs, ear, earbuds in, and navigate to where they have the audio signal of the game. You can at least listen to Greg Sharp and Matt Davison call the game. And uh, if your wife gets pissed, just tell her, you're the one that planned this damn hike on a Husker Saturday. So um. <laughs> That's kind of – that was actually in my back pocket. I was planning on just telling good her that. Man, like, good man, and it's our podcast. This is what we do. You've got to let me listen to this. So Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much wraps up this episode. Believe it or not, son, we've been going for over an hour. So yeah, uh, your your sister's going to be really happy because she prefers, as she said in our text, family text, the long episodes. So she's going to get one. And uh, in case you don't know where to find us, we have a website at genredpod.com. We are also on the old social networks at facebook.com slash genredpod, where you can play the plus minus game along with us. And I will have the Minnesota plus minus posted here later this evening and uh, Twitter at genredpod. YouTube is generation red live, where we will be doing some uh, live pot live streaming starting in January of 2022. Uh, it's actually going to be a specific kind of a live stream called the Big Red Roundtable, where Scott and I will sit down with other Husker podcasters as well as other Husker fans that just want to sit and talk Husker football, and that's what we're going to do. So it's not going to technically be a Generation Red podcast, though we will post the audio from those live streams on our Generation Red feed. So uh, stay tuned, and you will be able to hear those uh, live streams as well. Uh, If you want to be a part of those live streams, you can email us at genrpodcast at gmail.com or email any of your suggestions, questions, or comments about the show to that address as well. We really appreciate you guys listening. And uh, he's Scott. I'm Ken. Together we're Generation Red. And we're here to remind you that Iowa may win this week, but their corn still sucks. Yep. And, yeah, go Big Red. Go Big Red. See you all on Monday, maybe. We'll talk about it when we get there. Yes. (laughs) I'll be somewhere doing something. Yeah, so if you don't see the show on Monday, there's a reason. Blame his wife. That's what I say. Thanks, Jesse. This podcast is not associated in any official capacity with the University of Nebraska or the Cornhusker football team. All opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts alone and are intended for entertainment purposes only. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Stay sweet and salty and go Big Red. Go Big Red.